0: Welcome to the Poems and Whiskey's Hogs Watch Holiday Special. I'm uh, your same host as always, Michael, and uh, tonight on this very special episode, I wanted to uh, share a couple of passages from authors um, that uh, mean a lot to me. Um, and I think you'll see why. Uh, first up, I have, um, uh, portions of The Hogfather by Terry Pratchett. And then I have, uh, a speech by Kurt Vonnegut from, uh, If This Isn't Nice, What Is. Yeah, uh, so for The Hogfather, uh, if you are not familiar with Discworld, quick recap. I am picking up the story close to the end. Um, Tia Taime has been defeated. Susan Death's granddaughter and uh all the rest of the Clever Horde have uh saved the day um even including Rincewind uh surprisingly enough uh bless him and um yeah they're they're close to the end of the story and we have found out that Tia Taime is uh, an assassin that unnerves assassins, and um, he has been contracted to kill the Hogfather and all belief in the Discworld. Uh, and that's about where we pick up. Uh, the only other thing I think you need to know oh, uh, Susan here is um, part human. Uh, Death is her grandfather. You follow. Death has been masquerading as the Hogfather to keep belief in him strong. And uh, and Susan is a governess. Uh, and Death's steed is named Binky. Now, if you have seen the BBC production, uh, what I am about to do is ridiculous to be honest absolutely ridiculous it's going to be sad (laughs) i'm going to have fun i'm not going to do accents um but i will try my damnedest to at least capture the energy uh, of of the characters all right so we open with susan bad thought susan as the mists rolled past her. And in the morning, decent human things like coffee and porridge and bed. Real things. Binky stopped. She stared at his ears for a moment and then urged him forward. He whinnied and didn't budge. A skeletal hand had grabbed his bridle. Death materialized. It is not over. More. Must be done. They torment him still. Susan sagged. What is? Who are? Move forward. I will steer. Death climbed onto the saddle and reached around her for the reins. Look. I went... Susan began. Yes, I know. The control of belief said Death as the horse moved forward again. Only a very simple mind could think of that. Magic so old it's hardly magic. What a simple way to make millions of children cease to believe in the Father. And what were you doing, Susan demanded. I, too, have done. "'what I set out to do. "'I have kept space. "'A million carpets with sooty bookmarks, millions of filled stockings, "'all those roofs with runner marks on them. "'Disbelief will find it hard going in the face of that. "'Albert says he never wants to drink another sherry for days.' The Hogfather will have something to come back to, at least. What have I got to do now? You must bring the Hogfather back. Oh, must I? For peace and goodwill and the tingling of fairy bells. Who cares? He's just some fat old clown who makes people feel smug at Hogswatch. I've been through... All this for some sort of man who prowls around kids' bedrooms? No. So that the sun will rise. What has astronomy got to do with the Hogfather? Old gods do new jobs. There are enemies, said Death as Binky galloped through the icy mountains. They're all dead other enemies. You may as well know this. Down in the deepest kingdoms of the sea, where there is no light, there lives a type of creature with no brain and no eyes and no mouth. It does nothing but live and put forth petals of perfect crimson where none are there to see it. It is nothing, except a tiny yes in the night and yet and yet it has enemies that bear on it a vicious unending malice who wish not only for its tiny life to be over but also that it had never existed are you with me so far well yes but good now Imagine what they think of humanity. Susan was shocked. She had never heard her grandfather speak in anything other than calm tones. Now there was a cutting edge in his words. What are they? she said. We must hurry. There is not much time. I thought you always had time. I mean... Whatever it is you want to stop, you can go back in time and... and meddle. You've done it before. This time, it is the Others who are doing it. And they have no right. What Others? They have no name. Call them the Auditors. Auditors. They run the universe. They see to it that gravity works and atoms spin or whatever it is atoms do. And they hate life. Why? It is irregular. It was never supposed to happen. They like stones moving in curves and they hate humans most of all. Death sighed. In many ways, they lack a sense of humor. Why the hog? It is the things you believe which make you human. Good things and bad things, it's all the same. The mist parted. Sharp peaks were around them, lit by the glow of the snow. "'These look like the mountains where the Castle of Bones was,' she said. "'They are,' said Death. "'In a sense, he has gone back to the place he knows, an early place.'" Binky cantered low over the snow. "'And what are we looking for?' said Susan. "'You will know when you see it.'" "'Snow? Trees? I mean, could I have a clue?' What are we here for? I told you, to ensure that the sun comes up. Of course the sun will come up. No. There's no magic that'll stop the sun coming up. I wish I was as clever as you. Susan stared down out of sheer annoyance and saw something below. Small dark shapes moved across the whiteness, running as if they were in pursuit of something. "'There's... some sort of chase,' she conceded. "'I can see some sort of animals, but I can't see what they're after.' Then she saw movement in the snow, a blurred, dark shape dodging and skidding never clear. Binky dropped until his hooves grazed the tops of the pine trees, which bent in his wake.' A rumble followed him across the forest, dragging broken branches and a smoke of snow behind it. Now they were lower. She could see the hunters clearly. They were large dogs. Their quarry was indistinct, dodging among the snowdrifts, keeping to the cover of snow-laden bushes. A drift exploded. Something big and long and blue-black rose through the flying snow like a sounding wail. It's a pig! A boar! They drive it toward the cliff. They're desperate now. She could hear the panting of the creature. The dogs made no sound at all. Blood streamed into the snow from the wounds they had already managed to inflict. This boar, said Susan, it's... Yes. They want to kill the hog, Not kill. He knows how to die. Oh, yes, in this shape, he knows how to die. He's had a lot of experience. No, they want to take away his real life, take away his soul, take away everything. They must not be allowed to bring him down. Well, stop them. You must. This is a human thing. The dogs moved oddly. They weren't running, but flowing, crossing the snow faster than the mere movement of their legs would suggest. They don't look like real dogs. No. What can I do? Binky was keeping level with it now, barely a few feet away. Realization dawned. I can't ride that, said Susan. Why not? you've had an education enough to know that pigs don't let people ride them mere accumulation of observational evidence is not proof susan glanced ahead the snow field had a cutoff look you must said her grandfather's voice in her head "'When he reaches the edge, there he will stand at bay. "'He must not understand. "'These are not real dogs. "'If they catch him, he won't just die. "'He will never be.' "'Susan leapt. "'For a moment, she floated through the air, "'dress streaming behind her, arms outstretched. "'Landing on the animal's back was like hitting a very, very firm chair.' It stumbled for a moment and then righted itself. Susan's arms clung to its neck and her face was buried in its sharp bristles. She could feel the heat under her. It was like riding a furnace, and it stank of sweat and blood and pig. A lot of pig. There was a lack of landscape in front of her. The boar plowed into the snow on the edge of the drop, almost flinging her off, and turned to face the hounds. There were a lot of them. Susan was familiar with dogs. They had them at home like other houses had rugs. And these weren't that big floppy sort. She rammed her heels in and grabbed a pig's ear in each hand. It was like holding a pair of hairy shovels. Turn left! She screamed and hauled. She put everything into the command. It promised tears before bedtime if disobeyed. To her amazement, the boar grunted, pranced on the lip of the precipice, and scrambled away, the hounds floundering as they turned to follow. This was a plateau. From here it seemed to be all edge, with no way down except the very simple and terminal one. The dogs were flying at the boar's heels again. Susan looked around in the gray, lightless air. There had to be somewhere, some way. There was. It was a shoulder of rock a giant knife edge connecting this plain to the hills beyond. It was sharp and narrow, a thin line of snow with chilly depths on either side. It was better than nothing. It was nothing with snow on it. The boar reached the edge and hesitated. Susan put her head down and dug her heels in again, snout down, legs moving like pistons. The beast plunged out onto the ridge, No, sprayed up as its trotters sought for purchase. It made up for the lack of grace by sheer medic effort, legs moving like a tap dancer climbing a moving staircase that was heading down. That's right, that's right, that's... A trotter slipped. For a moment, the boar seemed to stand on two, the other scrabbling at the icy rock. Susan flung herself the other way, clinging to the neck, and felt the dragging abyss under her feet. There was nothing there. She told herself... He'll catch me if I fall. He'll catch me if I fall. He'll catch me if I fall. Powdered ice made her eyes sting. The flailing trotter almost slammed against her head. An older voice said, No, he won't. If I fall now, I don't deserve to be caught. The creature's eye was inches away, and then she knew. Out of the depths of eyes of all but the most unusual of animals comes an echo. Out of the dark eye in front of her, someone looked back. A foot caught the rock, and she concentrated her whole being on it, kicking upward in one last effort. Pig and woman rocked for a moment, and then a trotter caught a footing, and the boar plunged forward along the ridge. Susan risked a look behind. The dogs still moved oddly. There was a slight jerkiness about their movements, as if they flowed from position to position, rather than moved by ordinary muscles. Not dogs, she thought. Dog shapes. There was another shock underfoot. snow flew up. The world tilted. She felt the shape of the board change when its muscles bunched and sent it soaring as a slab of ice and rock came away and began the long slide into darkness. Susan was thrown off when the creature landed and tumbled into deep snow. She flailed around madly, expecting at any minute to begin sliding. Instead, her hand found a snow-encrusted branch. A few feet away, the boar lay on its side, steaming and panting. She pulled herself upright. The spur here had widened out into a hill with a few frosted trees on it. The dogs had reached the gap and were milling around, struggling to prevent themselves from slipping. They could easily clear the distance she could see. Even the boar had managed it with her on its back. She put both her hands around the branch and heaved. It came away with a crack, like a broken icicle, and she waved it like a club. Come on, she said. Jump. Just you try it. Come on. One did. The branch caught it as it landed, and then Susan spun and brought the branch back on the upswing, lifted the dazed animal off its feet and out over the edge. For a moment, the shape wavered, and then howling, it dropped out of sight. She danced a few steps of rage and triumph. Yes! Yes! Who wants some? Anyone else? The other dogs looked her in the eye, decided that no one did, and that there wasn't. Finally, after one or two nervous attempts, they managed to turn, still sliding, and tried to make it back to the plateau. A figure barred their way. It hadn't been there a moment ago, but it looked permanent now. It seemed to have been made of snow. Three balls of snow piled on one another. It had black dots for eyes. A semicircle of more dots formed the semblance of a mouth. There was a carrot for the nose. And for the arms, two twigs. At this distance, anyway. One of them was holding a curved stick. A raven wearing a damp piece of red paper landed on one arm. Bob, Bob, Bob. It suggested, Merry Solstice, Tweety Tweet, what are you waiting for? Hogs watch? The dogs backed away. The snow broke off the snowman in chunks, revealing a gaunt figure in a flapping black robe. Death spat out the carrot. Ho, ho, ho. The gray body smeared and rippled as the hounds sought desperately to change their shape. You couldn't resist it in the end. mistake, I fancy. He touched the scythe. There was a click as the blade flashed into life. It gets under your skin. Life, said Death, stepping forward. Speaking, metaphorically, of course. It's a habit that's hard to give up. One puff of breath is never enough. You find you want to take another. A dog started to slip on the snow and scrabble desperately to save itself from the long, cold drop. And you see, the more you struggle for every moment, the more alive you stay. Which is where I come in, as a matter of fact. The leading dog managed for a moment to become a gray cowed figure before being dragged back into shape. Fear, too, is an anchor said Death. All those senses wide open to every fragment of the world. That beating heart. That rush of blood. Can you not feel it dragging you back? Once again, the auditor managed to retain a shape for a few seconds and managed to say, You cannot do this. There are rules. Yes, there are rules. But you broke them. How dare you? How dare you? The scythe blade was a thin blue outline in the gray light. Death raised a thin finger to where his lips might have been and suddenly looked thoughtful. And now there remains only one final question, he said. He raised his hands and seemed to grow. Light flared in his eye sockets. When he spoke next, avalanches fell in the mountains. "'Have you been naughty or nice? "'Ho, ho, ho!' Susan heard the wails die away. The boar lay in white snow that was now red with blood. She knelt down and tried to lift its head. It was dead. One eye stared at nothing. The tongue lulled. Sobs swelled up inside her. A tiny part of Susan that watched the inner babysitter said it was just exhaustion and excitement and the backwash of adrenaline. She couldn't be crying over a dead pig. The rest of her drummed up on its flank with both fists. No, you can't! We saved you! Dying isn't how it's supposed to go! A breeze blew up. Something stirred in the landscape. Something under the snow. The branches on the ancient trees shook gently, dislodging little needles of ice. The sun rose. The light streamed over Susan like a silent gale. It was dazzling. She crouched back, raising her forearm to cover her eyes. The great red ball turned frost to fire among the winter branches. Gold light slammed into the mountain peaks, making every one a blinding, silent volcano. It rolled onward, gushing into valleys and thundering up the slopes unstoppable. There was a groan. A man lay in the snow where the boar had been, he was naked except for an animal-skin loincloth. His hair was long and had been woven into a thick plait down his back, so matted with blood and grease it looked like felt. And he was bleeding everywhere the cajones had caught him. Susan watched for a moment and then, thinking with something other than her head, methodically tore some strips from her petticoat to bandage the more unpleasant wounds. Capability, said the small part of her mind. A rational head in emergencies. Rational something, anyway. It's probably some kind of character flaw. The man was tattooed. Blue whorls and spirals haunted his skin under the blood. He opened his eyes and stared at the sky. Can you get up? His gaze flicked to her. He tried moving and then fell back. Eventually, she managed to pull the man up into a sitting position. He swayed as she put one of his arms across her shoulders and then heaved him to his feet. She did her best to ignore the stink, which had an almost physical force. Downhill seemed the best option. Even if his brain wasn't working yet, his feet seemed to get the idea. They lurched down through the freezing woods, the snow glowing orange in the risen sun. Cold blue gloom lurked in the hollows like little cups of winter. Beside her, the tattooed man made a gurgling sound. He slipped out of her grasp and landed on his knees in the snow, clutching at his throat and choking. His breath sounded like a saw. "'What now? What's the matter? What's the matter?' He rolled his eyes at her and pawed at his throat again, and something stuck. She slapped him as hard as she could on the back, but now he was on his hands and knees, fighting for breath. She put her hands under his shoulders and pulled him upright, and put her arms around his waist. Oh, gods, how was this supposed to go? She'd gone to classes about it. Now... "'Didn't you have to bunch up one fist and then put the other hand around it "'and then pull up and in like this?' "'The man coughed, and something bounced off a tree and landed in the snow. "'She knelt down to have a look. "'It was a small black bean. "'A bird trilled high on a branch. "'She looked up. "'A wren bobbed at her and fluttered to another twig. "'Then she looked back. "'The man was different. "'He had clothes now, heavy furs.' With a fur hood and fur boots. He was supporting himself on a stone tipped spear and looked a lot stronger. Something hurried through the wood, barely visible except by its shadow. For a moment, she glimpsed a white hair before it sprang away on a new path. She looked back. Now the furs had gone and the man looked older, although he had the same eyes. He was wearing thick white robes and looked very much like a priest. When a bird called again, she didn't look away and she realized that she had been mistaken in thinking the man changed like the turning of pages. All the images were there at once, and many others too. What you saw depended on how you looked. Yes, it's a good job, I'm cool, and totally used to this sort of thing, she thought. Otherwise, I'd be rather worried. Now they were at the edge of the forest. A little way off. Four huge boars stood and steamed in front of a sleigh that looked as if it had been put together out of crudely trimmed trees. There were faces in the blackened wood, possibly carved by stone, possibly by rain and wind. The Hogfather climbed aboard and sat down. he put on weight the last few yards, and now it was almost impossible to see anything other than the huge, red-robed man, ice crystals settling here and there on the cloth. "'Only in the occasional sparkle of frost "'was there a hint of hair or tusk. "'He shifted on the seat "'and then reached down to extricate a false beard, "'which he held up questioningly. "'Sorry,' said a voice behind Susan. "'That was mine.' "'The hog father nodded at death "'as one craftsman to another, "'and then at Susan. "'She wasn't sure if she was being thanked. "'It was more of a gesture of recognition.' of acknowledgement that something needed doing had indeed been done, but it felt like thanks. Then he shook the reins and clicked his teeth, and the sleigh slid away. They watched it go. I remember hearing, said Susan distantly, that the idea of the Hogfather wearing a red and white outfit was invented quite recently. No, it was remembered. Now the Hogfather was a red dot on the other side of the valley. Well, that about wraps it up for this dress, said Susan. I'd just like to ask, just out of academic interest. You were sure I was going to survive, were you? I was quite confident. Oh, good. I will give you a lift back. "'said Death after a while. "'Thank you. "'Now, tell me, "'what would have happened "'if you hadn't saved him?' "'Yes. "'The sun would have risen "'just the same, yes?' "'No. "'Oh, come on. "'You can't expect me to believe that. "'It's an astronomical fact.' "'The sun would not have risen.' "'She turned on him.' It's been a long night, Grandfather. I'm tired, and I need a bath. I don't need silliness. The sun would not have risen. Really? Then what would have happened, pray? A mere ball, a flaming gas, would have illuminated the world. They walked in silence for a moment. Ah, said Susan dully, trickery with words. I would have thought you would have been more literal-minded than that. I am nothing if not literal-minded. Trickery with words is where humans live. All right, said Susan. I'm not stupid, You're saying humans need... fantasies to make life bearable. Really? As if it were some kind of pink pill? No. Humans need fantasy to be human, to be the place where the falling angel meets the rising ape. Tooth fairies, hog fathers... Little? Yes. As practice, you have to start out learning to believe the little lies. So we can believe the big ones. Yes. Justice. Mercy. Duty. That sort of thing. They're not the same at all. You think so? Then take the universe and grind it down to the finest powder and sieve it through the finest sieve. And then show me one atom of justice, one molecule of mercy. And yet, death waved a hand, and yet you act as if there is some ideal order in the world. As if there were some, some rightness in the universe by which it may be judged. Yes, but people have got to believe that. Or what's the point? My point, exactly. She tried to assemble her thoughts. There's a place where two galaxies have been colliding for a million years said death apropos of nothing don't try to tell me that's right yes but people don't think about that said susan somewhere there was a bed correct stars explode worlds collide there's hardly anywhere in the universe where humans can live without being frozen or fried, and yet you believe that a bed, a bed, is a normal thing. It is the most amazing talent. Talent. Oh, yes. A very special kind of stupidity. You think the whole universe is inside your heads you make us sound mad said susan A nice warm bed no you need to believe in things that aren't true how else can they become said death helping her up onto binky these mountains said susan as the horse rose Are they real mountains, or some sort of shadows? Yes. And that was from The Hogfather by Terry Pratchett. This next is from If This Isn't Nice, What Is? Even more expanded third edition uh, by Kurt Vonnegut. The Graduation Speeches and Other Words to Live By. This is the third speech in the book titled Let the Killing Stop. Barnstable High School, Barnstable, Massachusetts, October 23rd, 1969. After a Vietnam Moratorium Day Peace March in Hyannis, Cape Cod. Vonnegut spoke to 800 people that night who were crowded into the high school at Barnstable where he lived with his wife and six children. His overnight best-selling novel, Slaughterhouse Five, inspired by his experience surviving the firebombing of Dresden as a prisoner of war, had been published the previous March. This is no time for a long and glorious speech. Our message is in the fact of our being here. Our presence says all there is to say, let the killing stop. There will be no cheering. We have nothing to celebrate. We are here because our leaders have made mistakes which have had ghastly consequences, cripplings, and death and corruption. We are here to help our leaders make sure that the tragedy will not go on and on and on and on, and that the final solution will not be genocide or a hydrogen bomb. We are here to help. Our president has had the best advice of honorable military men who are brave. Let him hear from honorable civilians as well. We're brave, too. No speaker can lift your hearts tonight, for no speaker can say the only word you want to hear. There is peace in Vietnam. It might be possible to thrill some of you with a speech full of hatred for the brass hats and for the corporations who are making big money out of this war. But hatred has no place here tonight. This is a magic night. Millions of Americans are gathered in meetings like this all over the country, and the mood of this night is love. The loving thing we are saying by being here is this. Let the killing stop. Those who scorn us for our eminently Christian words say this. Let the killing go on. You don't know what the military knows, they say. Well, we know as much about death as the military does. You don't have to go to West Point or Fort Benning to learn about death. We're against it, not for it. Let the killing stop. What about the South Vietnamese who will be murdered by the North Vietnamese if we withdraw? We'll get them out too. They can come over here and have their first taste of freedom. I do not propose to tell the shabby history of this war. It was a civil war. We weren't attacked there. We chose sides in the civil war and we attacked. It was a horrible mistake resulting in thousands and thousands of deaths for nothing. We're here to tell our president that we will not be ashamed if he admits it was a mistake. We can stand the resulting embarrassment. What is intolerable to us is that the mistake should go on and on and on. We're here to save lives. We're here to save our honor too. We are here to prevent a victory through genocide. Every country makes mistakes. Only profoundly free and honorable nations can admit they make them. Dictatorships never do. In Vietnam, we have made a Lulu of a mistake. Tonight, we are telling the world we have made a Lulu. This will make the communists everywhere gloat. All sorts of things make them gloat. We have a few gloaters on our side, too. Well, tonight, let all the gloaters gloat. They can have a perfect orgy of gloating tonight, and I won't care. Speaking of Lulu's, Hanoi certainly made one when they officially praised this moratorium. Thanks a lot, Hanoi. Well, they're people too. Everyone makes Lulu's. Hanoi. There's a sinister word. Hanoi does this. Hanoi does that. Hanoi. At other times, there have been other sinister words like that. Rome. Berlin, Tokyo. And it wasn't silly of Americans and other times to speak of these cities with dread. There were many people in them who were turned into maniacs by war. They aren't maniacs anymore. We didn't teach them how to act nice. It was simply that the killing stopped. We have a right to shudder now when we speak the word Hanoi ghoulish things have happened to innocent persons in vietnam at the instigation of hanoi i don't believe a lot of things our government says about the war i do believe that thousands of civilians were massacred in keeping with orders from hanoi i believe too that we bomb blindly that our green berets murdered a citizen of another country in cold blood i believe that we torture prisoners And so does Hanoi, and on and on. War turns everybody into maniacs. In other parts of the world, Washington is a sinister word, and properly so. So let the killing stop, in order that the maniacs on both sides can become nice human beings again. I would like to say something about the body counts. This is how we measure victory, since we have no other way of doing so. We announce each day so and so many communists killed. Perhaps the other side counts the bodies of our young men and announces so-and-so many capitalists killed. The dead soldiers were barely out of childhood. They're dead capitalists and communists now. How ridiculous and untrue and gruesome. Let the killing stop. We live in rural communities and are consequently privileged to see acts of unselfishness and bravery almost every day. I am speaking of our volunteer firemen and our rescue squads. The moment the siren blows, they come. They live in the tradition of the American Minutemen and God bless them for that. In the past, Americans have proudly responded almost as quickly to calls of war. This is properly called patriotism. Some Americans believe that this is the only form of patriotism. What does the patriot do? He goes to war. This is nuts. There are all kinds of things a patriot can do. We're here with the patriotic purpose of saving lives. If this is treason, make the most of it. I hope nobody believes that we are supporting a democratic regime in Vietnam. We are supporting dictators who are supposedly on our team. They don't call themselves communists. But everything that is vile about communist leaders is vile about them, too. Some team we've got. Well, whatever team you belong to, you fight for, right? We want our team to win. That's great thinking for high school, particularly if you're a football coach at Nosset, at Barnstable, at Provincetown, at Bernie, and so much of the fighting talk I hear about Vietnam sounds exactly the way people talk about football games. You fight, you win. My God, Vietnam is no football game. It's a slaughterhouse. They're keeping the score with bodies. It's turning us all into maniacs. Mr. President, let the killing stop. Word of honor, it's okay. If the killing stops, let the killing stop. I now go over the head of every super patriot and ruler on earth. I quote God Almighty who said this, Thou shall not kill. And One more word from Mr. Vonnegut. There is only one rule that I know of, babies. God damn it. You've got to be kind. Thank you for letting me spend my sad, lonely old man, Hogswatch, by reading you some of my favorite things. Merry, merry, happy, happy, whatever you have and whatever you can get. Take care and keep safe. Cheers, y'all.